Welcome to Sweeping the Country, a special vault edition. Here with me, my co-host, Mr. Jimmy Carter. Hey, Jimmy, how you doing? I'm doing okay. <laughs> Could you imagine having a voice like this? It's magical. I mean, it sucked me in. I... <laughs> Tell them why we are talking like we have a big voice. Well, we got somebody today from the vault that you interviewed a long time ago. You probably know when, and he's no longer with us, but he was a right-hand man to Elvis Presley. J.D. Sumner was with a group called the Sunshine Boys. Okay. And Elvis was a little kid and went to see them but didn't have any money. So somehow they connected right off the bat and Mm. told him, you know, if you ever – need to get in you just find me Fast. you know and we'll we'll do that so you know this thing all night sings at the ellis auditorium right. in memphis right. jd sumner uh american gospel singer he was a bass voice to say the least as you will hear yes uh, he, he speaks like this he doesn't he's not pretending or having to go into a lower voice like i just did yeah that's just how it is mm, and he hold he held the guinness world record for recording the lowest bass note you are kidding me i had no idea yes uh there's a song elvis did called way down that came out after his death mm-hmm. and it was way on down way on down well something like that yeah <laughs> i mean that's a simulation <laughs> that ain't bad but, though, i mean right? with a bass rattling <laughs> thing anyway we had a chance to uh, with the elvis movie we thought we'd come back and talk to J.D. Sumner, who was terribly close. He sang with Elvis the last six or seven years of his life. They were the backup male. There were others, you know, over time that had backed up Elvis. Yeah. But these were the backup people, and you know, at the last of the Vegas years Man. and the touring years and all of that stuff like that. So uh, let's begin with a little bit of J.D. Sumner. J.D., can you believe you've made a living all these years out of doing something that you really love so much? Uh, it's the most wonderful thing in the world. Uh, I've said many times I, I'll pay to sing any time. And the fact that I've been able to make a living, feed my family, doing something that I love is, I don't think anybody could be blessed any more than that. When did you know it was going to be your life calling? I mean, you probably were singing from when you were a little kid, but when did you really know you could make a living out of it? Well, of course, when I was four years old, uh, my mother told me that, uh, I, Mr. Frank Stamps came to uh, our camp meeting. Uh, I was raised in a Pentecostal church, and and he come down and sang uh, Stand By Me, and my mother said that from that day on, I always said I was going to be a bass singer in a gospel quartet. So I would have loved to have heard you cry as a little boy. Was, <laughs> <laughs> when did you know you had that voice? I mean, was it even when, did you wait till the voice changed when you were an adolescent, or was it there even earlier? It was there earlier. I, I, ne- I don't even remember a voice change. Uh, of course, my voice wasn't this low, but I don't remember a voice change. I uh, always I was singing bass, uh, and the ladies, I had three ladies uh, singing bass when I was eight years old. I don't remember a voice change. Was your granddaddy or your daddy a bass singer? No, nobody in my family. My brother was, oh, he's a good singer, but he's, uh, he's not a professional singer, but uh, all my family sings, but nobody ever sang professionally but me. But I'll, I've been a blessed man. Uh, I was wondering who gave you the bug. Was it your mother singing to you probably when you were a baby or <laughs> just the church activities? No, the church activity. Uh, back in those days, uh, anybody sung in the choir wanted to. And uh, when they had that choir singing on Sunday night, I was in the choir singing. Uh, just something I loved. 
I was raised in Florida, and uh, they had a lot of these singing conventions down there. Go to every every Sunday, they had a singing convention. So I was just into singing from the time I was just a kid up until now. And those all night sings, I remember yeah. passing by places that had those. There must be some great memories. Oh yeah, uh, they just put out a video on the Blackwood Brothers. I was with them for years, and Bill Gaither just put out a video on them that uh, man, it brought back a lot of memories sitting and watching that video that. Uh, for the years that I sung with the Blackwoods, uh, a lot of good times. Was there a lot of competition between those groups, healthy competition or even unhealthy competition? Did you feel the Florida boys were up against so-and-so? Oh, yeah, it was very competitive. Uh, uh, when you went to a show, you tried to outdo one another, uh, and it's still that way. It's the way it should be. I mean, uh, as long as it, if it's not competitive, it'd be like two baseball, it'd be like the Yankees and uh, the Mariners, uh, Went out and playing and didn't care who won. You know, it's the same thing in our in our field. Uh, you want to you want to beat everybody there that night. Music today is a little different in the Christian world, isn't it? Well, they're trying to make it different. Uh, I don't go along with it. Uh, I mean, there's still pure gospel. Yeah, yeah, not maybe enough of it, but there's pure gospel. And then, what do you think about this contemporary Christian music? Well, you know, I I, uh, I have nothing against it. Uh, it's it's reaching young people where my music does not anymore, not not all the time. And uh, as long as it reaches young people, well, then I'm for it. Uh, I'm not a contemporary singer myself, but uh, I'm a give the world a smile singer. That's Southern gospel, but uh, I'm for it. You know, looking back in, say, the, the 40s and 50s, when race, I'm a, from Montgomery, Alabama, and, and race was a big deal in the South, but I always saw that in music that was a common denominator. There were no race problems among musicians, and white people listened to black music. Black music was uh, corresponding with white music. Did yeah, you find that in the world of gospel? Especially, go especially gospel. I mean, my it's, goodness, the black gospel singers, you know, of today and yesterday. Oh, yeah, we, we sung, you know, always the black quartets uh, to take the spirit of Memphis and the five blind boys. I've been on many programs with them, and you're right, it's a uh, Colorblind. Yeah, it's, it's colorblind uh, when it comes to music, and, and 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 that's what music is for. I think uh, it it uh, reaches the heart of people and uh, takes all that kind of stuff out of you. You know, you've been kind of a daddy figure to a lot of people, hadn't you? I don't know if you ever decided that was your role somewhere along the lines, but you've raised a lot of people in the music business. Yeah, I've had a lot of a lot of the uh, people that's uh, been in my quartet, uh, this, that, and the other. Tony Brown. Uh, came to me when he was 17 years old and uh, had Richard Sturban and uh, Dave Rowland with Dave and Sugar and had Larry Strickland. I always said that all these people had uh, uh, a lot of talent, but Larry and uh, he, but he married his and then maybe he did have some talent after all. I don't know. <laughs> but I've had a lot of, a lot of good people with me. Did Elvis kind of look upon you as a grandfather, father type figure? Daddy figure, uh, Elvis would always talk to me uh, anytime something was serious. Uh, he came to me and uh, would take in Knoxville one time. We was playing in Knoxville, and that's when he and uh, Priscilla uh, was getting a divorce. And uh, Elvis called me into the room. He said, uh, J.D. said, I can't talk with Daddy. I said, Daddy's too squirrely. And I don't mean that he was crazy. He wasn't running his daddy down, but he said, Daddy's too squirrely. Because Vernon would go from one subject to the other. He wouldn't stay on one subject. He said, where did I go wrong with Priscilla? And uh, he said, it's the only thing I ever wanted that I couldn't have was Priscilla. So where did I go wrong? 
I said, well, in the first place, they say that a woman's home is her castle. I said, Priscilla never had a home. Uh, you had 20 bodyguards sitting outside the bedroom, and she couldn't even come out uh, without being fully dressed out of her bedroom. And I said, uh, you should have had the, those bodyguards on the outside the house, and you and Priscilla lived in the house. And then again, uh, I said, my life is 60% show business and uh, 30% my business activities, I shot a show business because I was in the bus business then, and 10% is for my family. I said, in your case, uh, I said, 10% is very little to scatter around between your, your family, my wife and two daughters. And I said, in your case, 99% of your life is show business, and that just leaves 1% for your daddy, Priscilla, your grandmother. And I said, that's pretty thin. But see, that's the part I don't understand. Here is a guy who loved his mother, more than anybody could ever love a mother. They had a strong family, and you would think that he would try to emulate his family life in his own life as an adult, but it didn't seem to work that way. Well, uh, it's, show business is a little a little bit different when you get somebody like Elvis Presley. I mean, you know, one time in, uh, I was staying at a high school up in Missouri, and an uh, old minister come up to me, he wasn't maybe 50 years old, he's older than I was at that time, and and he, at that time, I, I, they had just put a, a picture of me and Elvis in Life magazine. And uh, I had made some quotes that Elvis was a good boy, that I never had seen him smoke and never had heard him cuss. And that was the truth. And this man come up to me and he said, don't tell me that he's a good boy. He said, uh, all them women coming over them footlights trying to get to him. And uh, I said, uh, in the first place, the boy is single. He's a young man, and uh, just because they're crawling over the footlights, that is no, that doesn't hurt his character. I said, uh, I wonder how many you've had crawling over footlights after you in the last ten years. Of course, his pants was up about around his ankles, and uh, I said, I doubt you've even had one to turn a second look. But when you was Elvis Presley, and you could basically have almost any woman you wanted. That changes the ball game pretty much. I mean, that changes from Vernon and his mama. So uh, that life is is a rough life to live. It's uh, a corrupting life, isn't right? it? Right. Absolutely. It's just people can say it ain't, but it is. I mean, uh, it brings in a whole different ball game. And, and no one's really prepared educationally or any way to take on that kind of bright light. No one's been able to really do it, or very few have. No, you take uh, you take the prettiest women in the world come on at you uh, and you on the road 20 days and it gets to be pretty pretty rough you know Priscilla th that was a love affair I think she loved him and he loved her and then whatever happened they went apart I've always thought that uh, there was a great love affair that we don't know about to this day with Anne Margaret I know there may have been a brief love affair but I think there was really some love there yeah there was some deep love there Anne Margaret was at his funeral and uh, she cried like a baby yeah there was some uh, I mean, that's more than just being a friend that worked in a movie. Right, right. They were, I, 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 I wouldn't even say that they were lovers, I, but I really, just like you say, that in my life, I know you can love more than one woman. I've been in love with more than my wife, and uh, there definitely was a deep love there for Ann Margaret. Because she won't talk about it still. You know, she did this big expose book and basically left that out for all practical purposes. 
Yeah, but you you could if you'd have been at that funeral, you could you could tell it pretty well. Uh, uh, there's a deep love there for Elvis. But Elvis never got over Priscilla. No, no. Well, you know, Aunt Margaret and Priscilla was good friends. I mean, uh, uh, but Elvis loved Priscilla, but he allowed those around him to. Uh, they had a rule that wives could come on the opening in Las Vegas and be there on the closing, but they couldn't be there during the time of the show. And Elvis more or less carried that through with the Pacello. And uh, I did not with my wife, because uh, Elvis told me, he said, if you want to bring your wife, you bring her. But uh, that was the rule that nobody could bring their wife uh, only on opening and closing. And there was a reason for that, because there was a lot of activity between the two. And uh, But I had my wife with me a lot of time because uh, uh, she was a special lady, and uh, I'm not telling you that I was good. I was just as bad as they are, but uh, a lot of times she yeah, was Elvis there. was not an angel. No, Correct. no, neither was J.D. Sumner. <laughs> None of us are. But, I mean, for those that want to deify Elvis, he was he was a, he was a man. He That's had all right. the failures of right. a man, and he had uh, all the good points and the bad points. He was he was. Well, you take you take one time he took me out on the balcony there of the Hilton on the 30th floor, and... Uh, you could see Las Vegas. And he was just trying to get over something to me. He said, J.D., how would you feel if you could buy everything you can see? And man, that really impressed me. Uh, I went back downstairs, I was on the 28th floor, and I opened up the, the drapes to my room and saw on the marquee out there said Elvis with great big letters and down at the bottom it said J.D. Sumner and the Stamps. And, uh, I actually got on my knees and uh, asked God to never let my name be on top. That's a bad place. J.D. Sumner was uh, a great, great, great singer. And he was an alcoholic wow. at times. Wow. I think he would call him. I think he would have said that he was an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. Elvis did not like people drinking, particularly. Uh, he said he never knew Elvis to take a drink. Yes, he was taking drugs at the direction of Dr. Nick mm -hmm. and Elvis thought that was okay. He fired people who took cocaine or had cocaine around really? and he didn't like the marijuana. He didn't like any stuff huh. like that. So uh, Elvis was pretty straight shooter when it came to all this, but there are a lot of stories uh, about Elvis and some, you're what you're going to hear. And I believe it's in this interview where JD talks about uh, they had they Elvis wanted somebody to do something with all the time. And so he, after, particularly after his father Vernon died, JD was kind of like a surrogate dad to wow. him. Wow. And wow. they got plastic surgery together. Say what? El <laughs> yeah. They Elvis had plastic surgery. I didn't know and that. If, you know, and, and JD had to go, he went in there and did it with him. So did they, have, the, <laughs> did they have the same, you know, there's all surgery? about tweaking I your eyes. You know, Elvis dyed his hair. Yeah, of course. Elvis that, was yeah. prematurely gray. Yeah. And then he, Got those lines and stuff like that straightened out early on. Anyway, let's continue with J.D. Sumner. If I flew you to Las Vegas tonight, what's the first thing you would think of when you saw the Hilton? Well, you just the day you're there with Elvis. I mean, uh, is there a particular it, memory, particular night? Well, we had so many. We had so many. The memories. first night probably was a pretty wild one. The comeback night when all the movie stars were there and he was scared to death. Wasn't he scared? Yeah, yeah, he was always nervous. He was always nervous before he went on stage. And, uh, of course, they was they were stars there every night. I mean, uh, 
uh, almost every night of his show. I mean, uh, Sammy Davis Jr. was a regular tender, and uh, Red Skelton, Dean Martin, all these people. You know, a lot of these people claim to be Elvis's friends, and uh, who of that showbiz crowd really did he think was pretty good? Tom Jones? I think he claims to have a association yeah, Tom, with Elvis. Yeah, Tom was good friends with Elvis, and Sammy Davis Jr. was. Uh, 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 I forget the guy that was a million-dollar man. Uh, you know, used to... Well, what do we mean by friends here? I mean, what does a friend mean? If you're a friend to Elvis Presley, what does that mean on that level? He he didn't hang out with people. He didn't go to restaurants. I mean, what did he do with a friend? Well, what I call a friend with Elvis, they would come uh, uh, a lot of times to the show, and they would come downstairs to the dressing room uh, after it was over and visit, and Elvis enjoyed visiting with them. And that's, uh, you, you're right, what is a friend, uh, and what are they for? But uh, His friends were his people he grew up with pretty much right well his friends was uh uh the people that was around him he more or less selected his friends and uh uh you take i was thank god i was one of his friends and uh but even everybody that worked for him wasn't his friends uh he didn't like everybody that worked for him he told me he had some of the people working for him just so he could keep them away from him uh you know, said so that's when when I pay them, I can tell them what to do and keep them out of my hair. I always thought a friend was somebody who could tell you no and to tell you when you're doing wrong. Did he have any of those people? Obviously, not nearly enough. I, I don't. I don't. Uh, I mean, he truly had yes men around him, didn't he? I, I talked to him about, and uh, when I talked to him, he turned around and talked to me about uh, the things I was doing back in those days. I was. I tried to drink all the whiskey there was in Las Vegas, and I never did do any of the rest of it. I never did take any pills or anything like that. But uh, like one time, they Joe uh, Esposito told me that that uh, the Elvis's whiskey bill was fifteen thousand dollars when he left the Hilton. It was over fifteen thousand dollars, and Elvis didn't even drink. But he had a he had a bar down in his dressing room. He got a bar upstairs, and uh, all the they would come and do, they charge fifty and sixty dollars a bottle for that stuff, and they would bought that much in the bottle. They just they take it away. And uh, but if if you wanted to say something about Elvis, say, well, man, no wonder he died. His whiskey bill was fifteen thousand dollars. But I said it couldn't have been because I drank fourteen thousand dollars worth myself, you know. But uh, he never drank at all. A theory is that Elvis is dead today because Colonel Tom Parker had him work two shows a night in Las Vegas. That that messed him up so badly that when you're a performer like Elvis Presley that gave it all, you couldn't do two shows. One show was more than enough. I don't I don't agree with that at all. Uh, uh, Elvis done two shows a night for four weeks, uh, but he wasn't out there but an hour at the time on each show, and uh, he enjoyed every minute of it. I don't think anything you enjoy as much as Elvis did sing, I don't think it'd kill you. Wayne Newton has been doing the same thing Elvis done for a lot longer than Elvis. Wayne Newton is still doing it. And uh, actually, Wayne really works harder than Elvis works. And uh, the Colonel didn't kill Elvis with two shows a night. I mean, uh, Elvis loved that stuff. Well, some say that he, because his sleeping got all messed up, you know, he didn't know his night from his days and that kind of thing. Well, of course, that's true. I mean, uh, they had to black out uh, every hotel room he stayed in. They had to black it out. That that comes from uh, when you when you wind up a show uh, at twelve or one o'clock, you got to wind down. 
you know, you have to stay up three or four hours before you can go to sleep. Uh, it's the same thing when you get through working. Uh, you just don't go and jump into bed and go to sleep. I try sometimes. I'm <laughs> well, better than I used to, but if you're really wound up, you've been on stage and sweating, and right, it's like exercise. Right. You can't fall asleep after you right. exercise. And that's, and that's an exercise thing, doing what he did, particularly wearing those costumes. Yeah, and we you know, we stayed up. I stayed up many a night talking to him till 8 o'clock in the morning, and uh, that's what he would do. He would talk, and uh, I've been in his room many nights all night long, uh, and surprisingly talking about Jesus Christ. I mean, he loves to talk about that more than anything. And why do you think that is? He had that, Elvis was a very religious man. Uh, He was very dedicated. Elvis was a Christian. Uh, He believed in Jesus Christ. Uh, He even asked Rex Humbard one time, he said, "Uh, do you think I should sing nothing but gospel music? And Rex said, by no means. He said, uh, you till the soil for people like us to plant the seed. He said that you should, you have J.D. and the stamp saying gospel, and then when you sing your gospel, which is how great thou art and a lot of the songs that he sung, he said, you're tilling the soil for people like us to plant the seed. But uh, Elvis uh, has got my group together and preached to us. I mean, absolutely preached a sermon to us. Now, he knew the Bible. He read the Bible a lot. He read other religious books about other religions, but uh, he knew the Bible. His, one of his things was you take the word devil, take the D off of it, and it's evil. And uh, Genesis, take the I-S off, and it's genes, the beginning of the Bible and the beginning of, of man. And uh, he'd say uh, take the word woman, means woe man. Be careful how you choose a wife. And... Uh, uh, he, he got he, that from some Pentecostal preacher, though, didn't he, I bet? <laughs> some so. late night on the radio, he was listening <laughs> around, and that's where he got that stuff But he, he would preach. I mean, he'd come in with our dressing room one time and, and put my boys up on the, to sit down there. And it was on Sunday night, and he absolutely preached a sermon. I mean, he left to do that. And he, he uh, a little girl come to me one time in Vegas, and uh, she said, I come up there after the show every night. She said, uh, Elvis wants me to talk to you. And I said, well, honey, I don't, I don't know what about, but sit down, we'll talk. And she said, uh, I never thought that I would get to go to one of his concerts. I never even had the idea that I would be able to meet him. And then to think that I got to go in and spend the night with Elvis Presley, said, you know what we done? I said, I got a pretty good idea. I said, you listen to gospel music and talk about Jesus. He, she said, that's right. We didn't do nothing. And that wasn't what I went there for. I said, well, honey, that's that's Elvis Presley. And uh, that happened so many times until you can't believe it. The bedroom wasn't to him. It was just a place where he wound down and he wanted somebody to talk to and uh, he would play his gospel music one of the one of the things he left to hear before he went to sleep was in the sweet by and by, you know. It helped put him to sleep, absolutely. I think people like Elvis, they're, they're really so intriguing, and I think that's why we're still here talking about him today. I mean, I've met a few people over the years that had that X quality, and I don't think it was because they were rich or because they were whatever. John Wayne had it. Bear Bryant had it in oh, my yeah, lifetime. Yeah, yes, and Elvis Presley had it. Now, there have been others that I met, Ronald Reagan, had it. 
but it's just something about them when they come into a room. All the eyes go there. They're electric. They have a, a kind of magic another, around there's them. There's another person with them. I mean, uh, Elvis could walk in this room, and you and I wouldn't even know that he was the Elvis, but he would have that that charisma. And what it is, it's, it's, it's a really heavy charisma. Elvis always said charisma is Christ within. Hmm. And Elvis carried that love. I mean, uh, everywhere he went, uh, he could not stand for anybody to be mistreated or anything. He'd go to them uh, and hug their neck. Any girl that was mistreated, well, he would go out of his way. He was just the kindest man that I ever met. But he didn't have that charisma when he was 14, whenever you met him, when he was coming through the back door of those gospel sings. Well, I don't know. He? I don't know. He, uh, of course, he was a kid, and uh, and uh, was he a work. nice boy? Oh yeah, he'd work. So, I mean, kind of a sweet boy, nice boy, very oh, yeah. kind man. Yeah. Yes, sir. No, sir. Uh, Elvis, Elvis said yes or no, sir, to me. Uh, even after I started working for him for two or three years, he, he was yes or no, sir. Because that's how he met you in an authority type yeah. figure, and you were always that way. And uh, I don't think it hurt anything to say this, but uh, uh, I went to him. And uh, I told him, I said, Elvis, don't. He he called me Mr. Sumner. I said, don't don't call me Mr. Sumner. I said, and say yes or no. So I said, it's a little bit embarrassing. And so he said, well, what do you what do you mean to call you, son of a bitch? I said, well, I'd rather you call me that. My Mr. Sumner. He said, okay. So he did that from then on. And if he didn't do that, I knew something was wrong. You know, and that may sound strange to people, but. Uh, I'd come up, he said, why you say you old son of a bitch, you know, and, but he didn't mean that. And when he said, why you say J.D., I knew that our relationship wasn't quite to par, and I could almost tell you why. But when he, when he called me the other, well, we was in good shape. Do you think when uh, the little baby was born, little Lisa Marie, did he really change, or was he still too young and immature to grasp what fatherhood was? Well, of course, I don't know whether Elvis, uh, of course, he, he did grasp fatherhood, but uh, I don't know whether it was ever as serious with him as it is some people. Uh, there again, I say, when you get that 99%, your life is 99% show business, and you got 1% to divide between Lisa Marie and Priscilla and Vernon. Well, it's pretty thin. That's amazing that, you know, he. I guess people who do make it, whether it's in politics, music, or any other form of endeavor, sports, you do have to be 99% dedicated. And I think that's what most people don't understand about successful people, is how obsessed they are with what they do in a positive and a negative way. That's the reason they make it. If you They are driven. Right. If you're not 99% uh, what you're doing, when you're not going to make it, you take me, I have been... Many times, my wife uh, was operating on a couple of times. I wasn't even in town. Uh, I was out singing. Both of my girls got married. I wasn't at their wedding uh, because the quartet or my job was always number one with me because that's the way I took care of my family. And uh, it's still that way today. You take the day I buried my wife. Uh, she died about two and a half years ago. I sung that night. I sung in Montgomery, Alabama uh, that night at a concert. And I, I knew that's what she would want me to do. Because uh, one time when she was dying with cancer, she said, I stayed uh, at the hospital one night. She said, what are you doing here? Ain't you supposed to be singing? I said, yeah, but I thought I'd better stay with you. She said, you go and sing. You know, I don't want you here with me. So 
that's a way of life when people in show business. And, and that's why your marriage may have worked, is that she did have to know how to put up with that's you. Right. Yeah, and that's right. She accepted what you did. And, that was uh, reason 51 and a half years that I was married, you know. Uh, she had to be a very tolerant woman. She had to be was. a saint, probably, in your thank case. Thank God. Thank God. <laughs> and Priscilla, maybe just, what? She just couldn't put up with it anymore? Is that what it was about? Well. I mean, because it had to be embarrassing her. You know, I think he was not really flaunting it in front of other people, but it could, you know, she had had some self-esteem there. Yeah, that's that's the worst thing I think is the embarrassment, and then uh, you see Elvis got her to start taking karate lessons from Mike Stone, and uh, Elvis is going all the time, and you start uh, yep that kind of thing. Well, a lot of things goes with it, and uh, Elvis should have known. Uh, when I was out of town, I didn't want no man teaching my wife karate. Have you watched any of those TV movies they've done about him over the last few years? There have been a lot. Kurt Russell did Elvis. Uh, everybody's done Elvis. you seen any of those things? Yeah, I've seen some of them. Because that's how history is perceived now. You know, people watch these made-for-TV right, movies, right. and they think that is the story. Yeah. I mean, is there anything that really needs to be straightened out by that, or do you think it's pretty, you know, the, the gist of it is correct? Well, of course. About his life and about his uh, everything. A lot of that stuff they do, and, and it's true, but they don't explain. Uh, you take... Elvis shot out TVs. Mm -hmm. uh, we was watching TV one afternoon in Asheville, North Carolina. And uh, all of us tried to adjust it. And it kept rolling and splitting. And uh, we was trying to watch a football game. And uh, and uh, Elvis said, Joe, go get my gun. And Joe went and got his gun. He said, everybody back off. So he, he just shot, he shot the thing three times. And... Uh, that sounds like he's an idiot, but uh, <laughs> haven't we all wanted to do that? Though? Oh man, I, I would deny it if if I <laughs> if I could afford it. It's like me. Uh, I'd have I, shot the Jenny Jones show the other day myself. I mean, I, oh, yeah, I, those yeah. talk shows make you want to go shoot the TV. But uh, you know, when you need it. it's like a cigarette lighter. To me, it costs ninety eight cents. You know, if it don't light, I throw it away and, and get another but one. But he would just shoot the TV. Well, he, he shot. Now, what's the big story about? He shot Robert Goulet on there one night or something. Yeah, he like shot that? Robert Goulet one one morning because uh, he didn't want to become Robert Goulet. Or what was the story on that? Well, Robert Goulet was singing when he was trying to have his breakfast, and uh, you know, Robert Goulet, yeah. woo, and. Uh, <laughs> Elvis just pulled out his gun and shot him. So I want to hear that so-and-so saying while, I, while I'm eating breakfast. Uh, I mean, was Elvis a, a rather persuasive individual, persuasive because he had the power, or just that was his personality, or or what? I'm, I'm trying. I, I still, you know, I think a lot of people still don't understand this man. I know he had to be different from the time he was a teenager and then on his way up. But once he had all this power, uh, where he could fly people around and just give away cars and do all that. What kind of person was he? You say he was a, still a good yes sir, no sir guy to the people who were his elders, but he obviously was a very powerful man, and you didn't want to get on his wrong side. I know that. Well, he never. I never seen him. Uh, I never seen him use that power. Uh, of course, you're right. Uh, he did have the power, but I never seen him uh, use it on anybody. Uh, Weren't there certain musicians he didn't like or something? He wouldn't have them around anymore. Or people were. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He uh, he just wouldn't let them come around. I mean, of course, he was very protected, and it was very easy to keep somebody away from you that he didn't want to see. When he didn't, if he liked you, if he loved you, he loved you. And if he didn't, he didn't want to be around you. I mean, it was just that simple. And a lot of the musicians that he'd been down through the years, hard feelings here or there, I suppose. Well, he just had no time for them. Let's talk about Elvis the magi magician, not magician, but musician. He was a magician, too, because I think the way he attacked people. But was he a good singer technically, you think? I think he was a fine singer, of course, and we all obviously bought his records. But on a technical viewpoint, was it easy for him to get in the studio and hit that note and go? 
Well, you have the, to work at it. The longer he lived, the better he, the better singer he was. I did not like Elvis's singing when he first started. He had too much vibrato, a little bitty shake in his voice. But the older he got, uh, you take from 1970 on until he died, his voice kept getting bigger. He kept learning how to sing correctly all the time, and that's when Elvis, when he started singing my way and uh, those big songs. Uh, Elvis didn't used to sing that stuff. All he could sing was Hound Dog. Did he work at that? I mean, oh, yeah. work at this craft like everybody? You know? Yeah, yeah. He, uh, I, I helped Elvis a lot. Uh, other singers helped him a lot on hitting, hitting notes and how to hit notes. And uh, he used that. I mean, he used. Uh, there was a guy in our business by the name of Leroy Abernathy that uh, that if Elvis could have. He had planned to bring Leroy to work with him on his voice, you know, uh, because, I mean, uh, Elvis never had a voice lesson in his life. He just sung because he wanted to sing, but uh, the older he got, the better he sung. And some say he would have been a great actor. I think that's very possible. He played a lot. Of, you know, I still like those cheesy movies he did, you know, because they're still fun to watch. But I think he, he had a lot more talent than people ever really wanted to realize. It was a lot more than just shaking up there with Elvis Presley. Oh, yeah, yeah. Elvis could have been uh, a good actor. And that's, what, that's one thing he wanted to do was, was to prove that he could act without, without singing. But he never was allowed to. Uh, all of his pictures was built around his singing and shaking this, that, and the other. And that's why he... That's why he quit making them. That's why he detested them before it was all over. Well, he he decided he wouldn't make any more pictures unless unless he could be acting, and that that's the only thing he wanted to do. No, no singing. Colonel Tom Parker. He's the man that not enough people talk about. He was the brains. In many cases, I'd say you could say he's the brains behind Elvis Presley, who made him a star. Elvis certainly made himself a star through hard work and talent. But how do you see Colonel Parker's role? Well, of course, a lot of people have disagreed with me, but uh, uh, the biggest, prettiest diamond in the world once was a chunk of coal. That chunk of coal had to be found in the first place, and it had to be cut, it had to be polished, and it had to be showcased. And Elvis never would have been Elvis without the colonel, because the colonel knew exactly what to do and when to do it, and uh, he was a very intelligent man when it came to show business. Uh, he would do things that even to me was crazy, but uh, uh, Elvis Presley was the biggest man in the world, I don't, and, and I don't think he would have been without the colonel. Did he listen to the colonel? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. On Elvis. matters of business? Yeah, he'd get, he'd get mad once in a while, but he still, he still listened to the colonel because he knew... He knew the colonel knew what he was doing. Could he have fired the colonel technically? I mean, wasn't he was he contractually bound to the colonel? Yeah, they had a contract, but uh, uh, at one time there, Vernon Elvis, the daddy, wanted to uh, to get rid of the colonel, but uh, Elvis Elvis wouldn't do that because what well, he knew that the colonel knew what he was doing, and uh, and the colonel if had been for well, he just wouldn't go along with his daddy. His daddy even I think went to deal with the colonel for seven million dollars to buy. The contract, but Elvis wouldn't do it. I mean, I mean, Colonel was more than a ten percenter, wasn't he? Oh, he was a fit percenter. See, yeah. that's a strange management. I mean, that's almost would be an illegal management situation right, today. Right. Yeah, he got fit percent of what of what uh, Elvis made, and uh, did I mean, he that, earn that fifty percent? Well, when you get down uh, 
if he's the one that made Elvis, I, I, I disagree with the 50%. I more or less think of 25%, something like that. But uh, that's the deal they made. And uh, Elvis certainly made a, Elvis told me, he said, I made uh, $4 million the first year I was in show business, and it got worse every year since then. So uh, he made a lot of money. Yeah, because Colonel, his story hasn't been told, I think, completely yet. I mean, some people, what's the take on the Colonel with some people? They think that he took advantage of Elvis and his generosity and his lack of education and business smarts? Well, I think I think the Colonel took a, uh, advantage of Elvis, not from the standpoint. I think from the standpoint of, uh, see, his expenses was paid before they split to 50-50. Mm-hmm. You know, and Elvis it was, too. And so... Elvis' expenses was kept down much. The colonel had expenses that was very unnecessary, you know, and uh, uh, that's the only place that I think the colonel might have done wrong was in the, in the expense account. Did Elvis have a business mind, really, or he didn't care about nah, that? Nah, he didn't he care didn't, less nah. as long as he had it. From the time he was a kid until he died, he never had a dime in his pocket, never had a dollar in his hand. I mean, uh I mean, money didn't mean really anything to him. He never had it and really never had it. Right. Just... It, did, it didn't. That's the reason he gave it away. Uh, uh, they said he made over $4 billion in his life and gave over half of it away. Uh, he, he, that's all he wanted to do was give money. Some say that if Elvis had lived another year or so, that he would have had to declare bankruptcy. Nah. You nah. don't think that? Because he was spending so much more than he was making, and that was one of the reasons why he was going back on tour and some of that kind of thing. Well, no, that's true. Now, but as far as having a lot of things would have had to have changed, I know in August one year, uh, we was playing Las Vegas, and we canceled out the rest of the engagement because his liver, Elvis had sclerosis of the liver, and uh, his liver count got up too high. And they brought him back to uh, to Memphis and put him in the hospital. In fact, I stayed with him in the hospital, me and my wife, because he was scared to death. And from August until December uh, 31st, he had $750,000 in his, he had a fund account. That was his fund account. Elvis spent $750,000 from August until December 31st. And that's the reason that the colonel booked that uh uh, Pontiac, Michigan, Silver Dome concert where he had 68,000 people because Elvis was broke in his fund account. And uh, there was other accounts that he was not broke in. What's Elvis's thing with jewelry? What was that all about? With who? Jewelry. Rings, chains, well, TCB just, necklaces. What was all that about? He just he just loved jewelry and uh, he left to buy it and uh, he gave me 11 rings in my life. One of them was $40,000 that he paid $40,000 for. He left to give rings away. He just, if he'd see somebody, and and uh, one night a friend of mine was in the audience and uh, was kept hollering at Elvis, and Elvis said, what do you want? And uh, he said, I want a ring, you know, and Elvis just pulled off a very expensive ring and just threw it out there to him, you know, uh, which is really foolish on my part, but uh, mm. he, he gave, every time he saw me just about, he gave me a ring. Uh, I had rings running out my ears, you know. So what was his fascination with giving? Uh, that's just, he was, he just felt like he was Santa Claus and he liked to watch people feel good after he gave them yeah, something? Yeah, you take... He liked to watch their reaction? Yeah, you take, he, uh... One night, there was 26 people at his house. And, of course, they stayed up all night. And, uh, partying. 
when the, when the Cadillac place opened the next day, they were still all up having fun. He took 26 people down and bought them brand new Cadillacs. I mean, was that his way of saying that he loved them? Or, or just, what, why did he do that? He just wanted to give them something. He just, he just loved them and wanted to uh, give them something. When he was down there, it was on Union there in Memphis. Mm. And uh, there was a black lady and her son, her son uh, was out looking at the used cars on the Cadillac play. And Elvis told me that his mind went back to when him and his daddy used to come down on that same lot. And Elvis would get up in the in this uh, car automobile and boom, drive it, him, you know, when he's a little kid. So he had them to stop his limousine. He got out and went over to that used car department. And uh, he told this black lady, he said, ma'am, he said, uh, I'm Elvis Presley. Would you love to have a... Uh, new Cadillac. She said, oh, Lord, Mr. Presley, sure. He said, well, go up there and pick out one you want, and uh, you got you one. He bought that black woman and the little boy a brand-new Cadillac. She said, Lord, how mercy, Mr. Presley, said, uh, tomorrow's my birthday. So this is the greatest birthday present I ever had. He said, no, nah, honey. He said, give me my checkbook, Joe. He said, uh, he wrote her, he said, he wrote a check for 5000 So that's for your birthday tomorrow. He said, uh, that's kind of a man he was. It just made him feel well, good. That's quite a good Christian doctrine about better to give than to receive. Right, right. Did anybody ever give him anything? Oh, one time I done a foolish thing. I bought a five hundred dollar over there in Hawaii. Uh, it was, I think it was his birthday. I know it was his birthday, and uh, I bought a five hundred dollar piece of jade, that Chinese stuff, whatever it was. It was big old. He had it had it on one show. It key if it fell on your chest, and I knew that he didn't. Uh, Five hundred dollar present didn't mean nothing to him, so I never bought him anything else. I mean, he's okay, thank you. I mean, you could tell that it takes more than a five hundred dollar piece of jade to impress a man that could buy anything he wanted, you know? or certainly could sign his name and he could work for it and earn it back pretty right. quick. Jimmy, why do you think that we're still here today talking about him? What do you think we're here for? I mean, what is it about Elvis that's just so fascinating that we still like to talk about it and hear things? Well, I know why I do, but. Uh, I wish I could, could figure out why why the Elvis Presley today is uh, probably bigger than he was when he was alive. Graceland's made more money since he's died than before he died. Oh, yeah, they're making more money, and and, and this may be cruel to say this, but he's not here to spend it. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, But why seven, eight, nine-year-old kids will go to Graceland today and stand around that grave and cry, you know, and just absolutely are Elvis fans. Why in the world could a kid like that be an Elvis fan when they wasn't even born when he died, you know, and uh, it's getting bigger. I mean, it is not... I mean, on one level, it's easy to say that when you were first with him that he was a young, virile, sexy man, and the women liked him because he was a sexy guy. But there was also something about him that the men didn't feel threatened by him, and right. we liked him. All right, I understand all that. That's very simple. But this has really turned into something else. I mean, some have even tried to say it's almost like a religion, you know, that people see him as some other kind of figure, you know, that they look up to him and things. I don't know. It, it gets very confusing and philosophical, but there's, there's well, a lot more to this than just some guy who sang music. It's all, it, it is. It's all, uh, you talk about some of these cults. Uh, Elvis could have certainly had a cult. I mean, you know, uh, it is almost like a religion. Uh, uh, it's unbelievable to go over uh, to Memphis today and see the people that's going through to see Graceland. And, of course, we do a thing every January on his birthday with a symphony orchestra in Memphis. And uh, 
that thing is packed out every year, 4,200 people at uh, $25 a head. Uh, and you, who would have ever thought Elvis, they wouldn't have had Elvis at the Memphis Symphony Orchestra when he was living. But now, I mean, uh, they're, they're proud. I mean, uh, they become, they become Elvis fans. And those, uh, Memphis, I mean, the symphony people, which they're, they're high class people, you know, uh, they don't more or less go along with rock and roll, but, uh, they put on them tuxes and them long gowns and come out every January to see that. And, and we're supposed to take that thing worldwide too. That with the, with like we come here to Nashville next May and, uh, with the Memphis Symphony Orchestra and uh, put on that same show here in Nashville. And people forget that Elvis was more than just a United States right. factor, even though he never went anywhere except to Germany to go to the army. Uh, he was such a, I mean, people in Japan, people in Denmark, I mean, it's, it's as live today as it was in 1957. Yeah, we just came from Paris, France, and done, done an Elvis program, and uh, we're going to Hungary uh, this year, uh, Romania, and... Uh, We'll have 80,000 people in the ballpark in Romania, and we'll do an Elvis uh, concert. I'll talk about Elvis. And uh, see, that's one thing that the colonel would not let, let Elvis do is go overseas. Uh, he, because he didn't, he couldn't, he didn't even have a passport, the colonel himself. He was not an American, he's not an American citizen. So he really didn't have uh, the ability or the the credibility to get a passport from anybody, so uh, he didn't want Elvis overseas. But Elvis bought the Lisa Marie, that was a big airplane, because Elvis told me, he said the colonel wouldn't let him fly on a commercial airline. Uh, so Elvis bought the Lisa Marie for the purpose of going overseas. He said, I'm going next year with or without him. I'm going overseas to my fans. And he would have done it if he hadn't died. Now, he he went whether the colonel wanted to go or not. But, uh, you see, when you go on a long trip like that, you got to have, have enough gas to go and come back. Before, oh, yeah. Yeah, before you can, uh, you can fly a plane. I mean, you got to have enough to go to England and to come back in case you can't land. Well, you know, Elvis in these concerts, I mean, if you look at how it was set up, it, it was a... Uh, you never got to have the privilege of really sitting out there like one of us in the audience, you know, and hear that dun 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 dun. There was I've never been to anything like that. Still, I mean, it's uh, there've been a few entertainers that've come close, but that was a spooky thing when he, you know, he had it. Who who was whose idea was it to make this thing like a big deal? You know, the big build up and uh, Elvis has left the building. I mean, who's responsible for the show business part of that presentation that made it so exciting and made the sound so full with the choir sound and and well, of course, Elvis Elvis was raised uh, just like me in a Pentecostal church, and he wanted that choir sound behind him. That's why that's why he had the black girls, uh, and that's why he had the white quartet, was to give it that big uh, choir sound. Yeah. And then I don't know what Joe uh, Gershio wasn't responsible for uh uh, that 2001, uh, that's what you're talking mm -hmm. about. Now, you thought it was exciting out there sitting in the audience. You should have been on stage. I, I mean, imagine. your skin just wouldn't stay anywhere. It was just crawling all over, you know. And uh, uh, But I don't know what Joe Gershio wasn't uh, responsible for, the bigness of that of that band, you know. Did you ever dream about all this stuff? Did they ever enter your dreams at night, dream about Elvis or dream about being on stage or oh, yeah, any yeah, flashbulbs going off and all those surrealistic things that probably seemed like a dream at the time? Well, it was. I mean, when I first 
Uh, we was in Milwaukee, the first show I ever done with him, and I walked on stage. I, it seemed like to me that it was 20 million flash bugs went off. And, I mean, just you, it, you can't imagine looking at the audience, and it seems like everybody's got a camera. But since he died, I've had many dreams uh, that he was back and uh, sitting around laughing and uh, uh, giving concerts, being at his house. Uh, many, many times I wish I didn't dream like dreams like that because they seem so real. And I hope nobody don't get the idea that uh, <laughs> I go along that he's alive because he's yeah. not alive because I buried him. I was in charge of his funeral. I just uh, think people didn't want him. Didn't want to think that he was gone. As simple as that. They oh yeah. Wouldn't accept yeah. the fact that he was gone. Well, you know, he came here to uh, the, that girl, Georgia, I think was her name, that sold eight million books on that stuff, and it made me mad. And uh, uh, I went out to the. Somebody called me and told me she was out at a store here signing autographs. And, you know, I mean, the book that was selling out at some store out here, and it was a hundred oaks at that time. And so I went out there and. Uh, all the Elvis fans were lined up, and and uh, I walked up to where she was. Of course, the news people there from Channel Five uh, saw me and recognized who I was, and and she was telling about this picture behind the door. She said, "Isn't that amazing?" And uh, I said, "Yeah, it really is amazing." I said, "It's a D lie," and she looked up and saw who I was, and it scared. The heck out of her, but a girl come up to me and said, "Mr. Sumner said uh, we don't believe this, but we buy anything that's put out on Elvis. I don't care what it is." And said, uh, "I said we, we, I believe he's dead, but we, it, because this is about Elvis, we buy it." And she said, uh, "Will you sign this?" And Georgia was sent out. I said, "No, I won't." I said, "Well, maybe a second thought, I will." So. I wrote in each one of them, I said, this book is a damn lie, and I signed J.D. Sumner, you know, uh, uh, I was pretty mad. It was sort of kiddish for me to do that, but it... I guess the worst one was the, was Albert Goldman? Yeah. Is that yeah. probably the, the the biggest thing that should be in the trash can? Most ridiculous book I ever read in my life. I, uh, you know, he even interviewed me. He interviewed every. He like he claimed to have ten thousand interviews or something in that book. Oh, yeah, but he took, he took what I said and made a lie out of it, you know, uh. Uh, you take when some of the things I told him about happened on stage. A lot of times he would nod his head at Ed Enoch to hit a certain note, and for Ed to come on in, he had certain signs, and Elvis, you know, would quit singing, and the, and the voice would still be going. You know, that was, that was for show reasons. He'd nod to Ed, and Ed would come on into the mic where Ed could sound just like him. And Elvis would quit singing, and you know, and direct the orchestra, whatever, go into karate, whatever he done. It wasn't because Elvis couldn't sing; that was just part of the show, you know. But this Goldman said he couldn't sing and said he was gay and all that. If I could have found him, I'd have shot him myself. He did now, but uh, that was just a book completely full of lies. Yeah, he did the same thing to John Lennon too. I think he worked over yeah. the Lennon memory. Well, you know, you know, I, I can tell you a story, and you can you can take that and juice it up pretty well. And by the time you get through with it, it's a lie. You know what I mean? Now, that's what happened to that. Uh, one time, Esquire, Enquire, what it was, one of those magazines, I told him, I said, now, if you if you don't put exactly what I say, in fact, it was over at Elsie's funeral. Uh, and they put in what I said exactly, 
and then they would put in something else below that, sort of crazy, and then down below that say Sumner also says, you know, they quit up here, but it looked like I said the whole thing, but I, you know. It, they can do anything they want. Well, that's why a lot of people, a lot of stars, won't talk to print people because right. their stuff gets messed up. And they know that if they do something on television, even if they just run a little of it, it's exactly what they said. Same way with uh, with audio tape. I mean, you can't really, you say what you say. I can edit it, but basically I can only work with what you've got. Well, you, you can, I can you, take you out of context. That's right. Easy. Yeah, I mean, you can make me say things that uh, that, that ain't right. And uh, it's dangerous. Yeah, a lot of people will not uh, do things like that because... Uh, well, I've I written a book on Elvis. It's a very positive book. I haven't tried to publish it. I just sell it to the Elvis fans when I go out on my concert. But I had to I had to bring it back in and change it three times because this friend of mine, even though he was a friend of mine, he kept changing that thing and making making lies out of it. And I said, no, no, that won't do. We, I bring it back down to earth, you know. J.D. died in uh, Myrtle Beach in 1998. Uh, what a relationship he had with with Elvis Presley, I mean, he knew all the stuff. Yeah, I mean, yeah, no doubt. He knew the stories, and I would have loved to to have heard what he thought about this movie that is out there. Mm-hmm. I can't get my buddy Ted to go. Now, you, you, uh, what kind of rating do you give it, Jimmy? I mean, everybody's saying it's great. Is it? I thought it was. I mean, yeah. I thought the I thought the first third of it was a little slow and awkward. Yeah, but when it gets to a little bit past the first third, it makes up for any problem that you had with the first third. Okay. All right. It is so great. The middle third and the last third are so great. And so I think accurate and so well done. Uh, the NBC special, the, the fact that Elvis was in movies, but mostly it jumps back that goes into where he was really in a slump mm-hmm. and came back, you know, with an NBC special that was done. That was unbelievable. And then he went and did the Las Vegas stuff that the Colonel, you know, signed him away for, but it's, it's, it's a tragedy. That movie is, I think I'd call it an American tragedy. Do you, and it's just a shame. Do you have to be an Elvis fan to appreciate the movie? I think it, I don't know. I mean, I am an Elvis fan and people who are going have uh, either were pretty aware of Elvis or were fans of some sort. Mm -hmm. And that got it to where it is, but, what they've had is a demographic issue. Yeah. They've had problem getting a younger audience. The younger people, you know, below 30 yeah. that I know saw it. And that's not many. I haven't gotten, uh, I don't think any of my children have seen it. Yeah. Yeah. So they just don't understand why. Right. And, right. and one of them, like Ted, who's not a child, but yeah. he is, but he acts you know, like one his sometimes. 70s, he does. He acts like <laughs> one. Uh, he, he didn't like Bohemian Rhapsody. Oh, he didn't want to see. He didn't like he didn't like certain biographical films. I mean, I don't know. I am the opposite. I love biographical films if they're done right. And uh, and I thought Bohemian Rhapsody was certainly done in a great way, telling mm-hmm. the story of Freddie Mercury. But you know, I've I just I love I love biographical books. Yeah, I, I do love too. biographical I films. I like stories about real things sometimes. Mm-hmm. And the Elvis story was very very well done. And I know some young people who have seen it left the movie crying. I know that people who have taken their children or something, they left the movie crying because they were so, you know, caught up in the story. And, uh, you know, this was a very kind man and he got all screwed up because he was driven by a manager that he trusted, like he would have trusted a family member who was a degenerate gambler. 
and who did not all have the best interest of Elvis in his motives. Mm-hmm. No doubt. And, uh, and that's quite clear as you watch this movie. But I go back to Priscilla Presley saying that, you know, she thought he was a good guy and, you know, took care of Elvis and blah, blah, blah. Maybe on some level he did. Yeah. Yeah. But at the end, and according to you know, this movie showed that he kind of sold him out too because he was a gambler. He booked him into Vegas more dates than he should have because he was getting his gambling debts wiped out. Yeah, he didn't man. go to, they always wanted to go around the world and tour, which he needed to do. Yep. He was huge in Germany. Sure. The, the, the Colonel who was his manager, he wasn't a Colonel. It wasn't even Parker. Wasn't even his last name. He had no passport. He was not legitimately American citizen. What? So he couldn't go to Europe. That's why Elvis didn't go to Europe. I had no idea. I yeah. had, boy, that was a screw yeah. up, wasn't it? Having so, I mean, this is a really complicated story. There are some YouTube shows about, mm-hmm. I think one's called the Colonel that I watched the other day. Yeah. It has a lot of Elvis's people in it, you know, telling the stories about the Colonel and all that stuff. So anyway, JD Sumner was there. He was a positive force. I think of Elvis as, uh, you know, either I've read or see, he said on this interview, I can't remember. Uh, everything about it. But uh, when Elvis died, he wasn't listening to Tutti Frutti or Fats Domino or anything. He had gospel music uh, on that record player of his up there at Graceland. He loved gospel. He was in awe of J.D. Sumner. And if he'd have had his way, if he could have pushed a button and not been the king of rock and roll, he'd have been a gospel singer somewhere. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. That's how he was raised. And that's the music he loved. All right, well, go see the movie, everybody. And, uh, and I Jimmy, think so. Once again, what a what a great treat having J.D. Uh, on, bringing him back to life just for a few minutes and listening to some of the stories and how close he was and how willing he seemed to be to discuss the stories. Yeah, we did this in a recording studio, which isn't our normal thing. And we were, it was, you know, the lights were, it was, it was a very comfortable surrounding for yeah, him. Boy. And I think he knew that I knew the subject and he was comfortable with me. And that has a lot to do with getting a good interview sometimes. If you can have the right atmosphere and with somebody who you know understands yeah, sure. the subject and has done his homework. And I found over the years, if they, if they feel like you've just halfway done a little effort, to prepare for the interview, they'll give you a better one. They open up just like J.D. did today. Hey, tune in next week. That'll do it for us this week on Sweeping the Country. Tune in next week for another Vault episode. Until then, I'm Derek Walker. He is... Jimmy Carter. Good day. <laughs> Good day.